Well, good evening. Welcome to Young Adults. I'm excited that you're here. My name is Jared, and I'm excited for this evening. If this is your first time, we want to just say we're glad that you're here, man. This is such a fun, exciting night for us to be able to invite some friends and invite some people here. Man, young adults exist so that we can have a relationship with Jesus in community together and grow towards God and introduce other people to him. And we know that that happens best together, that this is not a solo sport. So we're excited that you're here. And on on Tuesday nights, we come together and we sing like we just did. We'll get to pray. We get to look at God's word. We get to respond to God's word. So that's what we're going to do in just a minute. Um, Man, if this is your first time, we'd love to get connected with you in some way. Coco just mentioned it in that video. There should be a connection card within reach of you there. And also another thing that's in in reach of you is one of these prayer cards. We have a team of people that would just love to pray for you. Whatever it is that you're walking through or things are going on, or maybe it's a praise of something good that's happened, we would love to celebrate with you in that, and uh, those are confidential. We'd love to just pray with you. Um, tonight, um, I'm excited to speak because I'm, I'm talking about the topic of peace, the topic of peace, and if I were to, to, to have a title for this message, it would be, can I have peace? Can you have peace? Um, when you look up peace, a lot of what comes up on the internet is like one of two ends of the spectrum. It's like how to have inner peace or how to have like a, a tranquil peace, like peace and quiet, or it's like, what, what is data on world peace? Like what is it that like, what's going on in the world of, uh, of war and, and peace all over the world? Um, I think those are our, our perceptions um, of what peace normally is that right now we live in a world, the, the other end, end of the spectrum of what you read online is like, it's anxiety based. What we see about peace is like how to have uh, a lack of anxiety, how to not be depressed, how to, how to have a, a peace about you. And, and the, the advice that I looked up online, the, the articles, the WebMD, everything is just kind of this like some things say this, some things it's just like if you can just minimize the, the, the pain and the danger and the stress and the tension and the conflict in your life, that's what is the equation for peace, peace and quiet, a lack of relational conflict, world peace, that's what comes to mind. But I think because of what I just mentioned, because of anxiety, because of stress, because of everything that we know, I think peace is something that's so elusive for our generation, for this generation. We have more resources in our hands than ever before, but we don't know how to use them. We should be more socially connected than any other generation before, yet we're isolated and lonely. We have more economic mobility, the the ability to go make money on our own, and, and we know that people, just because you're rich doesn't mean that you have peace. One of the articles that I looked at tried to quantify, it was a scholarly academic article that tried to look at what are the factors that go into peace, and it proved that over a certain amount of money, you start to be less satisfied. And it's not money that's gonna lead us to peace. It's not minimizing relational conflict. If I can just get rid of all the difficult people in my life, then I won't have peace anymore, or then I'll have peace. I won't have stress, I won't have relational conflict. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I I don't know how to have peace. I don't know what what it is. I feel like I've, you're on one end of the spectrum or the other. You've not done anything like terribly wrong and you're like, I don't get why I have this kind of like nagging at, at my soul. I don't get why 
nothing's wrong. I don't know why I don't have peace. Or maybe you're at the other end of the spectrum and you're like, I, I have done some things that probably mean I don't deserve peace. I shouldn't have peace. I don't want to bring it back around to the question, can I, can you have peace? I want to tell you a story about a time I didn't feel relational peace. Uh, one of my best friends growing up was named Ben Schisler. And Ben uh, was an awesome guy. He was the best man in my wedding. Um, and after uh, I graduated from community college in St. Louis and him and two of our other friends graduated uh, from SEMO, uh, Southeast Missouri State, uh, we decided to go on a trip. And we all packed into a three-door Saturn. It was three doors by design. It had one door that opened on the driver's side and two that opened on the passenger side. And that back door was like a suicide door that opened the wrong way. And the back seats were so small that they were angled kind of like this podium where your, your, your knees were up by your chin uh, because the car was so small. And we drove all the way to Orlando, Florida because one of our friend's dads had three free nights at downtown Disney at a hotel there. So we all stayed in a hotel in downtown Disney and we're like, we'll figure the rest out when we get there. So it was a fun trip. We have a ton of stories from it. Um, and we only have stories because this was so long ago, if this dates me a little bit, um, none of us had smartphones. We only had, we were like, oh, we'll bring my mom's digital camera and we'll take pictures of anything. The last day that we were there, we went to Universal Studios and the Hulk ride uh, shoots you out at about 60 miles an hour. This is the PSA for if you get on the Hulk ride. Gym shorts with a digital camera and your cell phone aren't a good um, uh, thing and they'll just, everything will fly out of, your, out of your shorts into a lagoon down below and you won't have pictures or a cell phone for the rest of the trip. So just write that down, jot it down somewhere. But Ton of fun. Uh, we only ate at Waffle Houses on the way there and on the way back. Um, and it was, I had to break one of my rules and go during the day because um, you'd see things at a Waffle House in the day that you may be not able to unsee. But um, it was a ton of fun. We had a ton of fun. But me and Ben's relationship was one where we were like, we'd make fun of each other and we'd have a lot of fun. But what our friendship wasn't was like physical while we'd like, like I have two brothers and we would fight, box, wrestle all the time. Me and Ben, this was not our relationship. And every chance that we got, we would like be somewhere and Ben would just like, give me an elbow. And I was always just like, bro, where'd that come from? Like, I don't, and he's like a little bit bigger than me. So I was always like a little slow to do anything about it. So I'd like take the elbow and be like, that was good, man. What great, good elbow. Um, but it's just like, it was so weird because it wasn't our relationship, but he was just doing it a lot. And it finally got to like, I think it was the end of the first day that we had at Disney. We were getting ready for our first night there. And I think it was like, we'd gone during the day and we were getting ready to like go take a shower and, and each of us and go um, to go eat somewhere. And we were there and I think somebody was in the bathroom and, and I, I was doing something and Ben just like shoved me. And I was like, Now's the time. I'm not much of a man, but I am a man. And I won't, be, I won't put up with this much longer. So I shoved him back. And he kind of like, okay. And we got into a little bit of a shoving match. And finally, I shoved Ben onto the bed. And I was like, I don't want to hurt him, but I want to let him know I can inflict a little damage. So Ben gets on the bed and he's like on his back, but he's pushed against my torso with his feet. So that, so that he's like keeping me away from him, but with his feet. And I'm just like throwing ugly haymakers at his chest. And you just hear like, I'm just punching his chest. I'm sure he's laughing at this point. But at some point, the, the noise goes from this to because he buckled his knees and I went from punching his chest to punching him right in the eye. And 
I immediately stopped and the guy pokes his head out of the bathroom and he goes, something landed. He could hear it and he knew. And, and my friend Ben, and if you knew him, this is a perfect Ben Schussler impression. He goes, I just need another minute to be alone. And I was like, see you guys at dinner. And uh, I just like went and like walked around because I was like, I don't want his full wrath at this point. I don't want him to be like angry with me. So finally they like text me like, hey, meet at this restaurant. And Ben gets there and it's like the Shiner, uh, the Shiner thing. And it's like, first of all, we're four 21 year old guys at Disney by ourselves. And now one of them has a black eye in the happiest place on earth. I have punched my best friend in the face. And uh, Ben and I are like walking around and I was like, I've got to apologize. I've got to make this right or things are going to go haywire. So I'm walking next to him and there's like two of our friends between us. And I was like, hey, Ben. And one of the guys just goes, not yet, not yet. I was like, noted. So we sat through dinner and then we like did something that evening and I like revisited again. And I was like, Ben, I need you to know that was unintentional. I didn't mean to do that. Will you forgive me? And he was like, I'll forgive you tomorrow. Because one, I think Ben just wanted to be mean to me for the rest of the night, uh, and, he was, and that's great. Yeah, I deserved it. Um, but I think we've all been there to a certain extent. Maybe you haven't punched your friend uh, at Mickey's house, but maybe you've had an issue where you're like, you feel the relational strain. You feel the tension, not just with you, but just with everything. It's like the world just doesn't operate as it should. People, it's like there's just always some kind of tension between you and them. Even people that you're best friends with. One of my favorite things that we're like in young adult college ministry, it's like we'll, we'll see two people that like, yeah, we're best friends. They're getting ready to move in together and you're like, y'all are about to not be best friends anymore. Why? Because that closeness can bring out all the bugs. It brings out all the difficulty. It brings out all the ugliness. And there's tension. There's a lack of peace. So I'll ask the question again. Can we have peace? Or is peace just this thing that we kind of, it's always out of reach. It's always just right at the end. And it's like, I can see it, but can I have it? Because maybe you haven't punched your best friend in the face, but maybe you've done something that you're like, I kind of deserve the lack of peace that I have. Maybe your family's not who they should have been. And you look at it and you go, we'll never be them. So I guess this is just what we're in for. Maybe some mistakes you made in high school or your freshman year of college or as soon as you got out of college and you started making money that you were like, and I don't know if I can come back from this mistake and this tension, I'm just gonna have to live with it. Or maybe it's a group of people, whether it was a friend or someone that you were romantically involved with, that you messed things up or you were harmed and you go, I will always have tension between me and this person. Can I have peace? Well, tonight I wanna to look at three different types of peace and we'll kinda of land on the last one for what we talk about the absolute most. Three different types of peace. The first kind is peace between people. 
Peace between people. This is the interpersonal peace. This is just the like me to you peace, like, like me and Ben, there's, there's something there, there's something not there. You, you want to have personal peace. And we see this is biblical. We should have personal peace. There's two things in Matthew where Jesus is talking to people and he kind of tells believers, like if you're a Christian in here, this is what you should do. It says in Matthew 5 and then again in Matthew 18, it says to the, both of the ends of the spectrum that if, if you're at fault, that you should go to the other person and, and make it right as best you can. And then in Matthew 5, it says that if you remember that someone has something against you, if you were sinned against, if someone did something wrong to you, you go to them and you try to make it right. So here's the hard thing. If you're a believer, you're just supposed to go. And it's like, that is not fun. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. With all, here's the thing, if possible, as much as it depends on you. Sometimes there are gonna be people in situations and relationships that it's not gonna be possible. I just can't. And we kinda have to just accept that. And that's really hard. But it does say as much as it depends on you. There's gonna be things that you need to go and say and you need to go and own and you need to go and pay the price of because, well, I, I know I did wrong in this situation. I need to, as much as it depends on me, I need to live peaceably. The Bible calls us to an interpersonal, a person-to-person -person peace. The second thing that you see is there's a, what I'll call the peace of God. The peace of God. And this is what I would call like a supernatural peace. Philippians 4 says it this way, and I think if you're struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with like the, the, the thoughts that you have, I wanna read this verse to you and give you a small piece of it. It says, don't be anxious about anything. And if you're reading that and you deal with anxiety, you're like, here's the thing, I can be anxious about anything, so don't challenge me in my anxiety. But the Bible, Paul, Paul's writing it, don't be anxious about anything. It's like, well, did he know 2020 was gonna mess some things up? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know what that means? Let your requests be made known to God does not mean that you have to in a moment go, God, I'm getting on my knees and I'm, I had, I'm gonna be honest with you, God, I had an anxiety today. Oh, and I forgot to say, thy servant had a anxiety today. Will thou heal thou servant of said anxiety, and give me said peace. It says, let your requests be made known. You know what, I have four, four kids, and my four-year-old doesn't give a rip how he asks me for a snack. That dude is like, snack dad, <clears throat> snack time. It's like, bro, you don't even know what time it is. He's met letting his requests be made known. He doesn't even have to say words, he just goes, dad, snack. You know what you can do in your anxiety? You can go, hey dad, problem. For real. You can just tell God in simple terms. God, I'm worried and I don't know why. God, I have anxiety and I don't know what to do about it. God, I don't know what to think. I just got really anxious. My heart started beating fast and I don't know, God, I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. It doesn't have to be eloquent and it doesn't have to be clear. Your father knows your voice. 
Let your requests be made known to God. Everything, if it's anything, it's part of that everything and you should pray it. And this is the deal. This is one of the craziest deals I've ever seen. We give God the things that we're worried about, which half the time, two minutes later, I'm like, that was the dumbest thing I've ever thought. And I just prayed that to the, to the almighty Lord that sits on the throne of heaven. And this is the trade that we get. Let your requests be made known to God in the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, that the peace of God will be with you. This is the peace that we have if we're believers because of his presence. I remember one of the first times that I was out on the road, I was 16 years old, and my car started making that noise that I was like, it doesn't normally make that noise. I don't know what's going on. So I grab my cell phone, I call my dad, my dad shows up and it was like, I don't have to deal with the problem anymore because there's someone with the means and the know-how to fix it. His presence brought me peace because he has the means and the know-how to fix it. And it's not just my dad with a car, this is our heavenly father who created all things and knows you intimately and deeply, whose presence can be with us. And we get the peace of God. And what's crazy about this is it says it surpasses all understanding. Like there's gonna be situations that you look at and you're like, the clock doesn't make sense. The diagnosis doesn't add up. We have, this is something that everyone will be sad, anxious, angry, confused over. But God says, hey, let it be made known to God and I will give you peace that people will look at and go, I don't understand it. And it's not because you have this Zen quality about you, this ability to deal with your anxieties. You have a father who sits in heaven who is ultimately good and knows you, loves you, and is there with you. And that's what gives you peace. This last Sunday, right behind that pillar, right back there, behind that pipe and drape, I said hi to an older man in our church and when I say older man, I looked it up in, in our church system. He's 87 years old. And I said, how are you? And he goes, I'm tired. <laughs> and he said, Jared, at this point, your knees hurt, your legs hurt, your back hurts, your hip hurts. And I said, man, I'm so sorry. And he, he kind of smiled and he goes, but you know what? It is well with my soul. And I look at that man and I thought, his life, the, the good years are over. How can you have a smile on your face when your body starts to stop and say, it's well with my soul because he has a peace of walking with God over a long period of time and watching God come through over and over and over and over. And he has a peace of God because he's walked with him. So even when he looks at life and he says, it might be over soon or it might not, he goes, I'm gonna be okay. There have been several conversations I've had with people in this room in the last couple of weeks I've had family members that have had bad diagnosis. And I said, man, I'm so sorry. You don't, you, you don't know what to say in those times. And several times, I remember sitting right over there and somebody said, hey, they know Jesus and they're gonna be okay. They're happy. They're filled with joy and they're filled with peace. 
And I'm like, was trying to be the pastor, the comforter, and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Why? Because it's a peace that surpasses our understanding. This is the peace of God that he brings with his presence. That if you know him, you can have. It's not making yourself numb. It's not having apathy. It's not turning a blind eye to the things that bring us pain. And it's not circumstantial. It comes because of the presence of God. And this is the point we're going to get to for the most of our, the rest of our time. The last type of peace. You have peace between people, peace of God, and peace with God. Peace with God. I want to read Romans 5.1. In Romans, Paul's been talking about what our relationship with God is. We were distant from him and we sinned against him and there was tension and difficulty. But in Romans 5.1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that word justified means being made right, not by your own work. This is, this is proven right in court. This is a legal term where you had an accusation against you and you were proven to be in the right, justified, cleared legally of all weight of problem. He said you were justified by faith. It says we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know, and did, did you know you can have a relational peace with God? That's not built on the resume of the life that you've built behind you or the life that you promised God to have in the future, but is built on what it says there through Jesus Christ, because of Jesus Christ. You can't show the receipt of God, hey, I did it. God, I don't know if you saw how much I tithed. I don't know if you saw how much I gave to that guy on the street corner who was asking for money. God, I'm pretty good. We can have peace with God, not because of what we've done, but because of who Jesus is. It's not that we have brought in, there's a lack of, conflict or lack of tension, it's because Jesus brought that. He brought that lack of tension and lack of conflict. I think so many people in this age range ask the question, is God angry with me? Is God tired of me making the same mistake over and over and over and over and over? Because I know that if I had a friend that did that, I think I'd be really upset with them. How often they say, hey, I'm not gonna do it anymore, I'm so sorry. And they choose to still do that, but it's like, I'd be done with you. Is God tired of me? Is God done with me? Is God disappointed in me? Does God look at the, maybe the potential that I had and then the mistakes that I've made and been like, man, I just can't do anything with that anymore? Is God distant? Is God far from me? Have I wandered for so long and so far in the things that I've looked at and the things that I've done and the things that I've thought of? Is God annoyed at that and walked away from me? Because we can't think about that relationship without our past 
starting to play in. I want to read the rest of Romans 5, the section for tonight, 6 through 11. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified, made right by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we, are also, we, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. So that word reconciliation, how can we be reconciled to God? How can there be peace in our relationship to God? And I have three things that we'll talk about tonight that peace requires. The first thing that peace requires is an initiator. Peace requires an initiator. Think about that, hap- that what happened between me and my friend Ben. One of us needed to initiate, right? One of us needed to walk towards the other one and say, hey, what's the problem? What's the issue? How can I mend this? It needs an initiator. It needs a first step. It needs a responder. It needs someone who will walk towards the other person regardless of the tension that's in the relationship. And the thing is, if you start to read the Bible, if you start to understand God's heart and the things that he's done, this is God's heart from the beginning to the end. The last three weeks, we've done a series on the Old Testament, the stuff in the beginning that's confusing, and you see it from the very beginning that God goes and gets, he goes and finds this guy, Abraham, and he starts a relationship with him. He's the initiator in that relationship. He's the one who goes and does. He's the one who goes and finds him. And then when, when there was this tension between God and man, that, that there was this price to be paid for God and man, when there was this problem, he didn't just sit back and go, when they figure it out, I'll make things right. When they can tilt the scale from bad to good, I'll come and make things right. No, the plan was he would initiate and he would send Jesus, our God goes, our God moves, our God does. Our God does not sit back and wait. He sent Jesus. And when he sent Jesus, there's story after story of Jesus going to people that no one else wanted to go to and being the initiator. He's with the disciples on one side of a lake and he's like, guys, we're gonna get in the boat and we're gonna go to the other side. They get to the other side and there's this graveyard with this man who's demon-possessed that people would have not wanted anything to do with. This was a guy who stripped his clothes, who would have been probably fully naked or almost fully naked. The townspeople were like, we can't control him because of this spirit that's in him, so we're gonna shackle him up in a graveyard. I can only imagine how much you wouldn't probably want to lay eyes on this man. And Jesus is like, we're gonna go to him. He's priority number one in this moment. And he goes and he casts the demons out. Our God goes. He goes to us. Another story of Jesus, he's at the, he, he, he's middle of the day, he needs to go get some water. And, and the, the practice was you get water in the morning and in the night because they're essentially in the desert. So you go, to the, you go to the well when it's cool out 
And he goes in the middle of the day, and I don't think Jesus did this on accident, but he goes in the middle of the day, and there's this woman there who was probably going there to dodge those people because of the time that she went. And this was a person who, sexually promiscuous, failed marriages, I mean, as much failure as you can have, and he goes there so that he can tell her, you can be forgiven of your sin. Our God is a God who goes, and he's a God who initiates. Then I think about a guy named Zacchaeus, who everybody in the town probably would have not just disliked, but hated. He literally just stole from people. He's not a good dude. And he just wanted to catch a glimpse of Jesus, and Jesus doesn't look at him and go, man, that's the worst of the worst guy right there. He walks up to him and he goes, Zacchaeus, I'm gonna be at your house today. Our God is a God who goes, and our God is a God who initiates. God is not sitting back waiting for you to find him. Our God has not hidden somewhere ominous in the dark to go, when they find me, things will be good. No, in Jeremiah, it says that if you seek me, you will find me. God is not far from you so that he's hidden, he's close. Because he's initiated us. The second thing that peace requires is addressing the problem. You have to address the problem. Um, there might be people that you're, you, when we were talking about um, peace between people, you were like, as much as it depends on me, there's some people that it is not safe for me to have a relationship with. But that's the thing, if you, if you don't address the problem and you just set the problem aside and go, hey, we're just gonna have a relationship and pretend nothing happened, that's not healthy, that's not right. I took a personality test one time and, and it came up with a peacemaker. And I had always thought, okay, that's a negative thing. It sounds passive and it sounds lame and I wanna be like some type of warrior or something, not a peacemaker. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought it was lame, but the more I understood what that personality test had to say, the more I realized it didn't say peacekeeper. Because the peacekeeper goes around and goes, you good? Can I do anything for you? You happy? Okay, everybody good here? Relationship good? Okay. And then you go over here and they go, okay, are you mad at me? Are you fine? Is everything good over here? And he just tries to keep the peace. And it goes around to different relationships and goes, hey, are you happy? Are you fine? Are you good? And that was... One of the negative things with what I'm learning, my personality trait, is that a peacekeeper goes around and goes, I'm not really gonna deal with that big problem, I'm just gonna make sure you look happy. But a peacemaker comes in and says, what addresses the problem to make it right? God is a peacemaker for us. He comes in and addresses our problem as a whole. And what is our problem? Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. I don't have to convince you that you've done something that is not good. Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And you might be hearing, you're like, okay, what's that big problem? Is that really that big of an issue? Is my sin, is the, these things that the Bible talks about is like, okay, I've sinned against the holy God. Is that really that big of an issue? I wanna point back to, to me punching my friend Ben in the face, okay? Dumb example. There were consequences for me punching Ben in the face. The consequences were my friend was angry at me for a while and he had a black eye. If I would have gone and punched a police officer in the face, there would be different consequences. 
Why? Because of the authority that that person has. If I were to go and punch the president of the United States in the face, there are other consequences that are gonna happen and I may not be healthy anymore. Why? Because the person's authority and the person's position that we wrong determines the punishment. We know that in that situation. I said that example and no one in here is surprised, like writing notes, don't punch police officer in the face. So when we think about a holy and perfect God who created each of us in his image and is perfectly good, any amount of disobedience to him or wrong to other people is devastating. And the punishment that we deserve is what Romans 6.23 is the wages of sin. What you get for sin is death. And it's not just talking about when you're 88 years old, you're going to pass away. It's saying a death of a spiritual death and being away from God forever in a real place called hell. And God didn't just look at that problem and go, I just set it to the side, we'll deal with it later. He said, no, I'm gonna deal with it. So he sent Jesus. He was the initiator. He saw the problem and he addressed it. And lastly, the requirement for peace is there's a price to be paid. If you have ever forgiven someone, you know what it feels like to forgive. It's costly. It feels like you are gifting them something they don't deserve. Why? Because they wronged you. In the same way, when God forgives us, he is forgiving us. He is paying us something we don't deserve. That's us being justified by Christ's blood, saved by him from the wrath of of God. Listen to this in verse 10. While we were enemies, we're not neutral towards God. That's our problem. But then it says that he reconciles us. That word reconciles, the only thing I think about with reconciles is when a couple who's married separates. And things aren't good. There's a problem in that marriage. There's a problem communicating. There's a problem morally. There's a problem seeing eye to eye. And what do they do? They reconcile. What has to happen for that to reconcile? They can't stand back to back and go, I'm gonna make, nope, we're just gonna learn to live together again. No, there has to be an initiator. They have to address the problem and they need to pay the price for the wrong that has been done. And in verse 11, I love what it says. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You did not reconcile yourself to God. You and I did not figure out the formula so that we could have a relationship with God. We didn't figure out the right way to live so that you and I could have peace with God, so that we could have a working relationship with God. No, what we brought to the table was pain and difficulty in that relationship, but he sent God himself, Jesus, so that God's wrath could be satisfied in Jesus so that we could step in and in a court of law If God is the judge and Jesus is the plaintiff, the plaintiff stepped across the aisle and said, I'll take the punishment that they deserve. And you stand there and either you take the punishment or you tell the judge, I accept him taking my punishment that I deserve. 
We are not neutral towards God. We are either justified and made right in his eyes or we are an enemy of God. Which are you today? There's no middle ground. There's not you working your way towards the other one. There is forgiven and there's an enemy of God. So I wanna ask you, which one are you? And maybe you're here and you're like, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Like, I've been walking with Jesus for a long time and I, college has just been a little bit different and hard. And are, are you living like the person who's forgiven by God? Are you living like someone who has peace with God? And if you're here and you'd say, I've never done that, that free gift is offered to you today. And while it doesn't cost you anything, what it costs us is us saying to God, God, you are the Lord, what it says. You are the one who's in charge of me now. I wanna extend that to you. So I want you to bow your heads.